Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message and God bless. We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 63 today. Psalm chapter 63. And I'm just going to read the first uh, couple of verses, although we will be going, nothing happens the Lord's will, through the chapter. Psalm chapter 63, it says, A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, and my flesh longs for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. It starts out here in Psalm 63 with a, a little preface. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, most scholars are in agreement that when David wrote this psalm, he was in the wilderness running from his son Absalom. That he was running from Absalom who had tried uh, and had actually succeeded uh, a coup against his father. Uh, Absalom was a son of David and uh, he had uh, been uh, kind of ostracized from the land because he had killed his brother. Uh, and his half-brother, and he killed his half-brother because his half-brother slept with his sister. And he was not happy about that, and so he actually planned and plotted and ended up taking the life of his half-brother, at which point he fled and was kept outside of Jerusalem, uh, and then he ultimately returned through some persuasion of Joab, the leader of David's armies, and he returned and he stayed for two years uh, before he finally was able to see the king. When he finally saw the face of the king, Absalom put in motion a plan to overthrow King David. And when his plan succeeded, David had to run. Now, David is in the wilderness, literally, when he's writing this song. He's running for his life. Now he's got his family with him. He's got, um, uh, he has soldiers with him and he has servants with him. But ultimately they have fled and he is in the wilderness with no home. And his son is taking up residence in the palace, sitting upon his throne. So when David writes this, you would think that he would be writing from a place of despair. You think that he would be writing and uh, begging God for mercy, to have mercy upon him. You think that he would be writing uh, to uh, beg God to restore him. Uh, but David is very much relying on the sovereignty of God. That God will do what God has purposed to do. Amen. And if it's God's will that David would return his king, he would return his king. If it was God's will that he not, he wouldn't. If you go back and actually look at Samuel chapter 15, 
uh, where in 16, where it details uh, the story of this uh, particular uh, story, uh, you'll see that David actually said to them, you know, I may come back, I may not, but it is in God's hands. And so David finds himself in the wilderness. He's legitimately, and as those who are with him, they're thirsty, and they're hungry, and they're tired, right, because of Absalom and the army that he is getting ready to send after them. And so David says here first in verse 1, Oh God, you are my God, early will I seek you. Now when I first read this, when I see the word early, the first thing I think of is time of day. Right? Early in the morning will I seek you. But that's not actually what David is saying here. What David is saying is, I will seek you first right. before anything else. Right. Right. That I will love you, that I will seek you, that I will hold on to you, that I will call out to you. Before I seek anything else, I will call upon you. Early, God, will I seek you. Why? Because God had been David's answer throughout his entire life. From the time that he was a shepherd boy guarding the sheep all the way up through being in the wilderness, running from Saul to facing Goliath, right? All of these things that David faced throughout his life, God had already always been there for him and had always delivered him. And so David, even in all of his flaws, knew that his place to run to, the first place that you go, is to God. Amen. You don't go anywhere else. You don't try to solve the problems that you're facing all on your own, but you seek God first. You notice that this isn't a spiritual problem that David is facing. He's actually facing a real-world physical circumstance. His son has overthrown him. Sometimes we pick and choose what we go to God about and what we don't go to God about. Amen. Right? Do we go to God when we're unhappy in our job and ask Him for direction? Or do we just quit our job and start looking for another? Do we go to job God uh, and when we uh, start looking for a job and pray for Him to give us guidance and direction on what to apply for? Where to go? Right? Do we go to God when we're getting ready to make a big purchase? Who here who owns a house ask God, should you buy that house? We, we don't always. Well, we got one person that did. I have to tell you, I've purchased three homes in my lifetime, and I don't think once said, God, is this what I should be doing? I wanted it, and God had blessed us with the means, and we bought it to my discredit. Right? Now, he's protected us. But the truth is, many times in our lives, we do not seek God. For certain things. Amen. Because we feel like we can do it on our own. Mm -hmm. Right? But David said, early will I seek you. I will seek you before any decisions are made. I will seek you before I rashly fly off the handle. I will seek you before I give up hope. I will seek you early. Why? My soul thirsts for you. Yes. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Now David and his people right now, those who were with him, they were thirsty physically. And they were hungry physically. They were in need of nourishment. But David is not talking about the physical here. 
He is focused now upon the spiritual. Saying, God, I need you. I am thirsty for you. As it was written, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs for you. Amen. Right? Just like the deer thirsts for the water, I thirst for you. Yes, I am physically parched, but I am actually spiritually parched, and I need you, God. I long for you. I long for you more than the physical pleasures in life. I long for you more than my physical sustenance. I long for you more than the palace. And I long for you more than the banquets that I held and the parties that I threw. I long for you more than all the luxuries that I experienced. I long for you, God. I thirst for you. And how many of us can say that we thirst for God at all times? At all times, are we thirsty for who? For God, for a relationship with God, to know God, to experience God. Many of us only run to God when there's a problem. Amen. When things are going great, we're not thirsty for Him. Right? We must be thirsty for God at all times. And even when things are going bad, we must be thirsty for God. Amen. Even if he does not answer the way that we want him to answer, and even if he doesn't do what he wants, we want him to do, we must still long for him. We must still desire to be with him, to know him, experience him. We must still love him. Amen. And that is a thirst that's never supposed to be quenched. That is the one time that God wants you to always be thirsty for him. As long as you're thirsty, you'll always want to take a drink. But the minute that you're not thirsty anymore, you'll put the cup down and no longer need to drink. Amen. Right? So you drink until your thirst is satisfied. But if you're always longing, if you're always thirsting for God, you will always be drinking. You will always be communing. You'll always be seeking. You'll always be speaking. You'll always uh, be in relationship with Him because you're thirsty. Amen. In any marriage, there comes a time when you're not thirsty anymore. And in many relationships, right, there comes a time when you're not thirsty anymore. And when you're first married or you first start a relationship, you're all lovey-dovey. I'm going to tell a little story on Alex that happened last night. So I apologize, Alex, in advance for embarrassing you. Last night, he's giving me the look now. Last night, uh, there was a comp Man, don't look at me that way. Jesus sees that scout. Um, last night he had a competition at school and Jenna came and uh, he was all distraught that he didn't, wasn't going to get to see Jenna. Why? Because they're in love. <laughs> right? And he is, just wants to spend every moment with her. Even though he had breakfast with her yesterday morning and spent time with her yesterday morning, uh, because he was, thought he wasn't going to get to see her yesterday night, he was all distraught and drama, drama, drama. Because he was in love. He's thirsty. Right? He wants that relationship. He wants that companionship. He's thirsty, 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 thirsty. Right? When I first got married, I was very thirsty. <laughs> uh, right? And you're, you uh, desire that 
communion, you desire the physical relationship, you desire the, the, the you know, uh, companionship, right? And you want as much as you can get, right. right? But then when you hit year 25, you're kind of tired of drinking the same old water, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? In, in any relationship, in any marriage, you know, you're like, I'd like to add some flavor into this water. Not me, honey, not me, personally. Per personally, I'm perfectly happy thirst all the time. I don't need any uh, crystal light added. But, uh, but you know what I'm talking about. You feel like your needs are met for a moment, and so therefore, you don't thirst anymore, and you don't put the effort into the relationship. My wife will say to me, you're not romantic anymore. Why? Because... I've grown content, mm. right? And one of the things that Kelly and I do try to do to keep our marriage fresh is, and my mama said, why do you guys go to you know these marriage seminars all the time and get away? And we're like, well, it's not that our marriage is in trouble, but we like to refresh yes. and learn new. And not only are we experiencing teaching and stuff from other couples who are older than us or whatever, but we're also spending time together and thinking about our marriage and thinking about, you know, getting thirsty again. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. And so you got to work at it, you know? So even when you're not thirsty, you got to work, work at it, right? It requires an effort on our part. So I want that incredibly long tangent to say we get to content with God. That's right. So that we no longer thirst. For him. Amen. Right? And we're getting into a place where we're happy and we're content and we're glad where we're at and we're comfortable and we no longer thirst. And so what does God have to do? He has to shake things up again, make you exercise a little bit so you get thirsty. Amen. Right? And when you're thirsty, thirsty, only one thing will really quench your thirst. Amen. Water. Right? When you're really thirsty, soda ain't going to cut it. Amen. Sweet tea ain't going to cut it. You need water. So God wants to make sure that when we're thirsty, we go to the source of the water and we're not seeking alternatives to. Yes. Go to Him. Only His water will satisfy. Only a relationship with Him will satisfy. Amen. Only communion with Him will satisfy. Amen. Right? And so uh, we need to be like David, and we need to long for that relationship and thirst for him. And look at verse 2. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. David was not in his home anymore. He wasn't where uh, he could worship God in, in, in the tabernacle, right? He didn't have built the temple at this time, but they still had the tabernacle. He didn't have a place to worship now. And so he was out in the wilderness longing to be in the tabernacle, the house of God. Amen. He was missing it. Yeah. It should scare people if they could stay out of church for a year, mm. year and a half, and not miss being in God's house. Because right. here's the thing. YouTube and podcasts do not make up for being in the house of God with God's people in God's presence. Amen. 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 Right? Uh, you can have the best speaker in the world, the greatest worship in the world online. But the truth is, there is something about being in the house of God that makes a difference. Amen. Amen. 
We should not be able to just sit at home and be content watching the TV or watching the, some preacher on TV or some praise and worship video. We should want to be in the house of God. Amen. Right? Why? Verse 3. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied if with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. What he's saying here, because God of your loving kindness, your tender mercies that are new every morning, those things are better than life. Yes. I hunger and thirst for those things. They're better than what I experience in life. Now you're talking about David. David had sat in a palace, and he also hidden in a cave. David had hung out with sheep. He had also hidden, uh, been out with uh, dignitaries. Yet he said, your loving kindness is better than life. Amen. And so my lips will praise you. Yeah. So David was praising God when he was with the sheep. He was praising God when he was in the cave. He was praising God when he was in the field of battle. And he was praising God when he was in the palace. He said, no matter what stage of life I'm in, your loving kindness is better than life. Yeah, and so my lips yeah. shall praise you. David's answer to everything was praise. Amen. Yeah. If you read his songs, you'll see of his praise for God. Praise and prayer made up David's life. In so many ways, if you read his songs, you'll see his songs are focused on praise and prayer to God. He says, thus I will bless you while I live. As long as I draw breath, I will worship you. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of the fact that I'm here in the desert, I'm here in the wilderness, I'm here with my family sleeping out under the stars. My son has betrayed me. My son has taken the throne from me. And now my son is actually sending an army to kill me. And destroy his family. Yet God, as long as I live, I will praise you. Your praise will always be on my lips. Amen. I will lift up my hands in your name. Lifting up their hands honors God, but lifting up your hands is also submission to God. Right. Amen. Right? So when you are lifting up your hands, you are saying to God, here I am, you are worthy, I give you everything. Right. Right? And our churches lifting up our hands sometimes is automatic and it just, you know, we're used to it. We've been doing it our whole lives and we get to a part of the song that excites us or whatever and we lift our hands. But let us not forget what lifting our hands means. It means, God, I surrender and I worship you and honor you with everything that I have, everything that I lack, everything. God, it's all yours. I surrender to you and I honor you with my life. So he said, no matter if it's good, bad, or ugly, I will lift my hands in your name. My soul will be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Even though he was physically thirsty and he was physically hungry, he said, God, you satisfy me just like a big juicy steak. Even if I had the best piece 
of prime rib or the best meal in my banquet hall sitting at my table. God, you satisfy me better than those things. He spiritually was hungry and thirsty for God. And so therefore, the, it was more important for him to be filled spiritually and nurtured spiritually and be fed spiritually and in his relationship with God than it was physically. Amen. He said, I'm satisfied with you, God, and my relationship with you and who you are more than if any physical need that could be met. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you day, uh, meditate on you in the night watches. David said, even though I'm out here in the desert with my head on a rock, even though I'm out here in the wilderness and my family's running, even though I'm out here in the wilderness not knowing when my son is going to descend upon me or what's going to happen next, if I'm ever going to get to ever go home, or are all my family going to be killed, right? Even though I'm out here, he said, at night my mind meditates upon you. Now I have to tell you, that probably didn't come naturally. He probably had to make a conscious effort that when he was laying at night in his bed, he had to make himself focus and think about God. I have trouble sleeping at night. I've had trouble sleeping at night. My mind, when I lay down, begins to race. Right? I can be so sleepy and tired, but when I'm ready to actually go to sleep, my mind starts racing and I start thinking about everything. All the bad things. What I'm worried about tomorrow. What I'm worried about next week, next month. Like, right? How did so-and-so talk to me? So-and-so didn't say this. Or how, you know, I analyze everything. I overanalyze and I can't sleep. Right? And I have to make a conscious effort to many times, if I'm really spiraling, to call upon God. Right? Sing a song. One of my favorite songs is Peace. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. It just has always just been one of those things that helps me focus and it gets the junk out of my mind. Right? You have to make a conscious decision to meditate upon God. And that means remembering Him and all that He's done for you. Remembering that He's always been faithful. Remember that He uh, loves us. That He's loved. Remembering that loving kindness. Remember that provision. Remember that protection. Remember His deliverance. Remember who He is and how great He is. Remember His love. Right? Remind yourself of those things. And then you can rest no matter what crisis you or I am in. When you meditate upon God, you think on things above and not things on this earth, you can have peace. Amen. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice, because you've always been there for me, God. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. He says, God, I'm always right beside you. I'm always following after you. I'm always right there. Your right hand is what holds me up and keeps me from falling. Your right hand is what sustains me, meaning your power, your presence, the relationship with you is what sustains me. That's what holding us up 
holding it up with the right hand. He's talking about proximity to God and in his relationship and communion with God. If you want God to uphold you, you got to have a relationship with God. Amen. Right? You got to commune with him. Your soul has to be close to him. My kids, when they were little, they would go through periods where they would become very clingy. Right? Uh, where no matter where you went, they wanted to be there. Why? They just wanted to be in your presence. They just wanted to be with dad. Right? They just wanted to commune with dad. They just wanted, no matter what I was doing, Alex would sit on my lap and watch Storage Wars for hours. Just, I don't even know if he enjoyed it or not when he was little. But he would sit on my lap and we would watch Storage Wars together for hours. And, and we would just hang out, watch the Storage Wars. Right? Curtis would come in and watch me play video games. He didn't even play himself. He would just pull up a chair, sit next to me, and watch me play. He didn't know what was going on. This is when he was a little guy, but he just wanted to be next to his dad. Right? When you, we need to be that like a child when it comes to God. We just want to be close to him. We want to be in his presence. We want him uh, we want to experience his time. That's how we're supposed to be with God. And that's what David says. My soul follows close behind you. Verse 9. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword and they shall be a portion for jackals. But the king, this is the king. But the king shall rejoice in God. Notice that David does not refer to himself as the outcast, or the pauper, or the old shepherd boy, or the runaway. What does he refer to himself as? The king. So even though he was in the midst of this trial, and he was in the midst of the wilderness, not sure what was going to happen. What had God promised him? He would be king. So even though things didn't look good, and he didn't know where things were going to head, right? As long as he was alive, he was king. God had made him king. Declared him king. And David still saw himself as king, even in the wilderness, even though it seemed like all hope was lost, that he was helpless, that he was, might even die at the hand of his son, he still referred to himself as the king. When you and I are facing uh, circumstances that are overwhelming and seem hopeless and helpless, you need to remember who you are. You are God's child. Yes. Amen. You are God's son. You are God's daughter, right? Your circumstances don't change how God sees you and your position to him. Things may be stinky. Things may be going terrible. Things may be or seem to be hopeless or helpless and going real bad. But remember this. You are still God's son or daughter regardless of the circumstances. And as such, God is still there with you, standing beside you, and loving you just like he always has. Yeah. Don't forget your
your possessions. See, the enemy likes to pull you out in the wilderness so you forget who you are. Amen. He likes to pull you out into the desert where you get hungry and thirsty in your circumstances so that you forget who you are. Don't forget who you are, that you are a child of God. You are the elect of God, the chosen of God, the call of God, for whom he foreknew he predestined to be made in the image of Christ, and whom he predestined he chose, and whom he chose he called, and whom he called he promised to glorify, right? That's our ultimate hope, right? That's what Paul teaches us. And so you are a call. Child of God, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't let the enemy convince you otherwise in the midst of your circumstances. As David said, I am the king. You can say, I am his son, and I am his daughter, and nothing I face can ever take that away. Amen. Amen. Yes. The focus was on what God had said, not what his circumstances yes. said. The focus was on... What God had declared, not what his circumstances seemed to declare. His focus was on the goodness and the faithfulness of God, not on the wilderness and the dry land. Yes, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. He says, everyone who swears by him, meaning the God of heaven, who is faithful to him, who fears God, who loves God, who says that God is his God. Amen. Him. By him shall glory. Meaning God will be there. God will raise up. God will protect. God will give peace that passes all understanding. God will give joy unspeakable. God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Right? Uh, if you and I put our faith and our trust in him, if we swear by him, make him our God, call upon Christ as Lord and Savior, then God shall glorify that person. Amen. Right? Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Those who are your enemy, who attack you and try to destroy you, who speak lies and they are, mistreat you, God says they will be destroyed. Their lives will be stopped. Remember, none of what I've said has anything to do with who I am. Mm -hmm. It's all about who God Amen. is. Amen. Yes. Yes. Right? I didn't call myself to be a son or a daughter. God called me to be his child. Yes. Yes. I didn't call myself. God called me. Yes. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. David didn't deserve or earn to be king. He didn't deserve to be restored to his throne because here's the facts. When this was all this that happened with Absalom was part of David's punishment for what he did with Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. Right? This was part of what he was facing because of the sin with Bathsheba. And so he didn't deserve to have the throne restored to him on human merit. But God called him king, and God was faithful to him as his calling. God will be faithful to you in your calling. Amen. Amen. Regardless of what you see with your eyes, what you experience physically, 
God will be faithful to you and what he has called you. Yes. Amen. All the way from just being his child to whatever purpose he has bestowed upon you. He will be faithful Amen. to you. Amen. So remember him in the wilderness. Praise him. Seek him. Thirst for him. Give him honor. Give him praise. Call upon his name. Because he's faithful. Amen. And he loves us. And he's good. Amen. And he's great. And he's yes. merciful. Yes. Thank you, God. Focus on those things Jesus. and not on the heat of the desert. Amen. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Let us stand. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.